on this episode of AV Week, AV Network Security, how 21.9 is going to save the projector business and the dangers of counterfeit AV. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 594, recorded Friday, January 6th, 2023. Three T's. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Happy New Year. Uh, it has been a minute since I have been behind this microphone. Uh, it's been a minute since I've been uh, doing this at all, but we'll talk about that in a second. With me to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, Timothy Trost from LaGrande AV. Welcome, sir. Hello. Happy New Year, Tim. Happy New Year. And to round out the three T's, because uh, that's what we're just going to call this episode, I've just decided that. Mr. Toby Tungle uh, from my neck of the woods. Well, from my company, neck of the woods. How about that? From CTI. Welcome, sir. Uh, thanks, Tim. Happy New Year as well. Happy New Year. Uh, neck of the woods uh, for Toby, geographically speaking, is more in line of Michigan. Uh, and Tim is in the New Jersey, greater New Jersey, New York area. So, And I'm still in St. Louis, kids. So, um, you know, because I don't know, Midwest. Um, I, I mentioned the fact that I hadn't been here for a second. I, I, really quickly, and I'll write some more about this, but I want to say uh, thanks so much to um, colleagues and, and folks who, who kind of covered for me and let me do some things uh, on a personal level and, and take care of some, some issues that I was having. So thank you so much, uh, first and foremost, Mitchell, uh, for uh, holding the fort down. Did an incredible job, uh, both in the year end and the best of. And if you haven't listened to those, you need to stop this recording now and, and go listen to those. Uh, and he's going to throw something at me if he was physically in the same space. So um, he might some, do something mean to my audio. Who knows? Uh, all right. First uh, story comes to us from AV Magazines. L Acoustics and the Chinese government uh, along has eliminated a group that was counterfeiting L Acoustics gear. Uh, there were five people involved. They were fined and sentenced to one to three years in prison. In addition, the authorities seized uh, the molds they were using as well as some signs. Mr. Trost, you work for a manufacturer, so we'll pick on you first. Uh, how, how do companies prevent uh, counterfeiting uh, from coming into, um, you know, the U.S. or coming into other other company, or other countries since they're used a lot of times, either they're using the same factories or they're using similar factories maybe down the street? It's not easy, Tim. And, and to your point, because the factories, generally speaking, are – uh, so close together, the the talent cross pollinates between them. So, the ideas have a tendency to wander and travel too. Um, it, it's a couple different ways. Our sales teams keep an eye out on what's going on. They're close and in tune with the installations that are happening out there. And if they see something that doesn't look right, something they know they didn't sell, um, that usually becomes kind of the first inkling into it. Uh, our customers are are definitely advocates and recognize what we deliver as a manufacturer and the, the value of our brands, the quality of the products. Um, you know, you can get uh, insider feedback again from them when they recognize, uh, you know, screws have changed, mounting mechanisms have changed, right? You know, our, our installers do this day in and day out. So even when we make tweaks intentionally, we, we get those phone calls. So 
unintentionally uh, that information comes in. I was going to say, you, you said the ideas tend to find their way to other factories. We're not talking about ideas here. We're talking about your plans, right? Somebody picked up and, and took a flash drive somewhere and, and went down the road and said, here, make this, right? It happens, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They uh, they had schematics in order to, to make this happen. They had the CAD drawings. So, um, you know, there's varying degrees that occur, and this one is is at the extreme end of the state. So we, we also leverage our IP. Um, global IP is a significant investment for any manufacturer to try to control what they have um, and ensure that not only uh, are, are there not fakes that go elsewhere, but these plants that manufacture goods for, for multiple companies, that uh, that technology doesn't, doesn't end up in, in other manufacturers' or brands' hands. Tell me from a customer standpoint and delivering, you know, a, you know, a quality product and, and a system that works, what are the dangers um, or, or for customers and, and, and what can they do if they receive counterfeit gear, right? If, if they go into their system and suddenly Yamaha is spelled, you know, I don't know, with, with four A's or something, what, what can they do as a recourse if they, if they find counterfeit gear in their systems? Oh, first change the sticker so it's spelled correctly so everybody knows what you got there. But, you know, uh, I think it goes a step further and probably a little bit um, earlier in the project chain where, to Tim's point, as the installation team is on site putting that gear in, they're going to know if something's off on it, if a thread's different, if, you know, the quality of the, the hardware or the enclosure isn't the same. I mean, these guys touch this stuff day in and day out, and they know for sure if something just seems weird. I mean, we've all seen it where... You've got the knockoff AirPods and different things that you come across. When you pick them up, you can feel the difference of quality, right? And they've, I think, what's the old saying? The imitation is the best form of flattery. Yeah. Obviously, some of these manufacturers have some really cool technologies that other people want to try to exploit. And it's unfortunate, but I think our first line of defense is the installation team and the technical staff that are touching it, servicing it, installation, inst installing it, and supporting it. Um, from a client perspective, you've got to put some trust in your partner to be able to, to, to identify some of that stuff because, let's be honest, black boxes are, are cool, but most customers don't really care what logo's on it as long as it's a good quality product that they're going to stand behind and support the integrator that put it in for them. Yeah. Uh, really quickly, before I ask you guys this last question, hats off to the Chinese government, and I don't believe I just said that, right? But, but hats off to the Chinese government because in years past, they have pushed back against mm -hmm. IP. They push back against global IP. They have actively ignored it. They have, have told certain companies that, you know, we, we don't care. It, it's, it's kind of on your, 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 your deal to, to kind of prosecute this. And hats off to them for, for going after it and for helping L Acoustics, in this case, uh, identify these people and prosecute them and, and get real jail time. Uh, this is for either of you. Uh, what are the dangers of counterfeit gear? I mean, I, I know some of them are are kind of obvious. Tim works for Legrand. They make chief mounts, a mount that is not is not made properly. There's some danger there. But what are what are dangers here? Of uh, you know, Elacoustics makes speakers and and audio systems. Maybe that's a danger. Maybe if we're talking about Sure and Sennheiser, both had a uh, a swath of these a couple of years ago. You know, what are some dangers here of of counterfeit gear? Other than obviously the the uh, violation of, of, of IP. I'm going to take a step back really quick there, Tim, because your point on the Chinese government leaning in, I, I can't help but think as they hear a number of domestic or U.S. brands delevering their supply chain out of China and looking towards nearshore opportunities, 
moving to other economies, China's going to have to up their game for companies to maintain production in that region. So this could be kind of that first bit that that demonstrates some some more um, rigor in in China. So that was my first piece. But to go back to the second area, um, I've been involved in situations that are that are terrible where you've got a life safety challenge. You've got a product that um, failed as a result of bad design. We get called in to um, uh, to, to explain the situation and, and through analysis, ultimately identify that it's not one of our products, albeit it may have a sticker that makes it look like it, you know, Legrand with four E's in this case, um, but it's not truly that. And and so it puts the end user in a precarious place. Uh, the other piece I would say too is is in in the UL inspectors, when, when an inspector's on site, there's a lot more diligence in place to ensure that the products are what they say they are and, and, and tracing back the filings and stuff. So there's a couple of different places. And I think the, the level of sophistication, the criticality of an installation has more rigor wrapped around it to, to try to protect it because it, it can be dangerous to your point. Yeah. I think I learned a new word there, criticality. I haven't heard that word in quite a while. To Tim's point here, that, that it might be another thing that another silver lining to come out of COVID, because here's the thing, the, the reason, one of the main reasons, and we can put, look at different ones, uh, one of the main reasons that supply chains are an issue right now and companies are looking to near shore or looking at other countries is because of COVID and because of the lockdowns that, that China did go through. Um, so yeah, it might be a silver lining to, to COVID as well. Mm-hmm. I mean. Anyhow. All right. Uh, next story. Utelogy has completed their SOC 2 Type 2 certification. Uh, SOC stands for Service Organizational Control. Uh, the certification says Utelogy prioritizes the protection of data. According to their CEO, Kevin Morrison, quote, unquote, Utelogy's achievement is a testimony to our ongoing commitment to our partners and customers. Toby, first question goes to you. How important is security becoming uh, to customers and end users when it comes to their AV gear? I think it's pretty much top of mind with anybody. When you're yeah. talking to clients about any type of project from a, a basic Teams or Zoom room to any type of gear that has a network port on it, the first thing they want to know is, what do I got to do to open this thing up? Can I lock it down? Does it need internet access? All that stuff. Compliance is huge, right? And you have uh, chief security officers that are tasked with constant uh, you know, battles and all the craziness that happens out on the dark web for trying to take all this stuff down. That compliance, I think, it really gives them a benefit to know that they've got the backing on it. They're following through with all the, you know, the T's crossed, the I's dotted to make sure that the product is safe, as secure as it can be from day to day, as we know things change and, and all kinds of craziness happens um, all across the world every day. But, you know, I would say 99.9% of clients we're talking to today, that is one of their first questions. If we're talking about what problems we're looking to solve, how do we make it secure? How do we make it safe? And how do we make sure the products and software that we're using are staying in line with what everybody else is asking for today? All right, Tim, what can manufacturers do to help integrators like Toby uh, and and customers, you know, understand the, the, necessary, the necessity of this, but also help secure their products before they even ship them out? Yeah, it's critical whether you, whether you talk about you know SOC or ISO, right? ISO twenty seven thousand one is a cybersecurity standard. Um, I, I think to Toby's point, we're we're in a day and an age that the sophistication 
um, of the hackers is is so great that you have to be in a position as a manufacturer to wrap that level of diligence around your products um, to demonstrate that that you've leveraged and worked with other firms to prove out the concepts that your engineering team has developed is 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 I think necessary because um, it's not a matter of if it's just when uh, you know somebody's going to get attacked and and you want to be in a place as a manufacturer to to prove out no different than we do with UL for electrical or your mount example we've gone through and done the weight testing this is the this is the similar to physical infrastructure just digital uh, really quick because Tim mentioned a, a phrase that I am I am very fond of sort of uh, <laughs> you'll understand in a second. Uh, Teresa Payton, a, a young uh, woman that I met a number of years ago, a fantastic security expert. She was the first CTO or the first CIO in the White House. Uh, watched, had a, uh, watched a presentation with her a number of years ago, and she used that very phrase. It is not a question of if, it is when. All of us that have a network uh, will, will have some sort of attack on, on us. Um, where's the biggest threats coming, coming for, for customers uh, on their AV gear? Is, is it outside? Is it take higher education, for example, is it internal? Is it, is it, you know, students trying to just screw with, with the, the projector and, and the, uh, the professors? Is it, you know, I don't know, Toby trying to watch YouTube and he's not supposed to on the network. What, where is the biggest, the biggest threats coming to the clients networks? It's probably more internally focused really, because you've got folks that are bringing devices into a customer site or to your, your example for students bringing in laptops or thumb drives into a higher education network, potentially plugging that into the laptop that's on the Wi-Fi, and who knows what kind of malware is going to expand and spread through the network from just that simple, you know, connection point, right? And it, I do think that things happen on the outside, but I think it's proven that lately it's been more towards individual users that can get access or they know they're going into a building or they know that they're, they're tied to public Wi-Fi and they can get into their laptop so they can actually put in some malware. So when they go to get on a corporate network or on a higher education, it can start to really create some havoc. You know, not to say that they're not going to have crazy, um, and I don't know all the security terms for this, but like when they go after a network and just hit it with everything they got, I think it's more on the user base and getting them through those uh, the basic security protocols where they already have an account, they already can get on the access points, or they can already plug into the ethernet and get access to what they have. And then from there, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I think the answer is every way, right? It's in, it's internal, it's external. Um, and, and the primary factor probably depends on the size of the organization, right? Global companies, enterprise, and you go into government and security, obviously their rigor is, is greater and their, uh, the, the device allowances of what they allow on their network and the control is greater. So smaller companies, generally less sophistication, more, more enabling and allowing of, of people to let personal devices on the network. But I think back to the target breach, when was that? Four or five years ago, right? It came in oh through the- Oh Lord, that was 10 years ago now, dude. Was it? Damn, yeah. damn I'm old. Um, right, that, that came through the Honeywell HVAC system. and. Oh, and you, you you fast fast forward to what last week when LastPass got hacked, right? It's it's everywhere and anywhere, and and you you have to do uh, you have to have an IT team, you have to have a cybersecurity team that's well versed in this. And and honestly, if you don't have the horsepower in house, it's it's a, a great place to go outside and and get uh, consulting resources. 
so, so there's a couple of things I'm, I want to highlight here. And first of all, I, I, I know something that Toby doesn't. The, the, the phrase you're looking for is brute force attack is when they throw everything at it. Um, yes. It's the only one I'll get the entire year. I'm going to take it. It is the 6th of January. <laughs> so I have 360. Yeah. Um, but again, because I'm old like Tim, um, the the net net was Netflix and Amazon and a bunch of other streaming services. They got hit with a with a DDoS attack. Um, unfortunately, like five years ago now, because it was 2017 2018, and a, a lot of those devices they were um, they were uh, zombie devices, things like you know computers, but also the, um, uh, Chris Krebs uh, Krebs on security. He listed all the devices that these folks used. A number of them were cable boxes. In that list was a very well-known speaker company and a very well-known speaker that happened to be networked. Um, at the time, I was doing a, a security presentation for a couple of, of integrators, and that's where I was introduced to Shodan. Uh, Shodan.io is the website. If you go in there and you type in whatever you want, um, there are publicly address uh, facing um, devices out there, probably still. I haven't done it in a couple of months, um, but you know it, it is uh, a way for you to test the security of your own system, right? But also of, of your clients as well. Um, um, last story here comes to us from our friends over at AB Network and um, uh, SCN. Draper has added a twenty-one-nine screen to their lineup really quickly. Daylight uh, is a member of Legrand AV. Uh, Daylight and Legrand is a sponsor of AV Nation. It's a competitor to, to Draper. Um, according to the SCN article, Draper has developed the 21.9 screen in response to the introduction of the front row layout for Microsoft Teams Room and the 21.9 display format. To get the best experience, according to the article, uh, with 21.9, it's recommended using a 4K UHD projector um, or higher resolution as the vertical resolution of 21.9 images are 2160, which is, of course, higher than 1080, because it's well, 21 is higher than 1080, uh, or WUXGA uh, projectors. Tim, a question for you. Uh, first, uh, I saw 21.9 six, nine months ago at ISC in 22 uh, at Barcelona. Uh, since mm -hmm. then, I've heard rumblings, certainly from Microsoft, but from other uh, display and screen manufacturers. Where is twenty one nine going? Like, where where do we expect this to to head? It's a great question, Tim. I think it's it's all the buzz, right? Everyone's talking about twenty one nine, and even thirty two nine started to crop up as another aspect ratio. Oh, um, but it, but I think yeah, right. Uh, but I think ultimately what what we're getting out of this is wider is better is is what Microsoft's pushing. Um, you know, I'll say too, as a as a technologist, if you will, I like the fact that it's it's a solution to a problem that's been identified in conferencing. Personally, I'm moving away from dual displays. I think single displays are easier to operate, easier to connect, easier to use in a space. So whatever that aspect ratio becomes, I don't know, but. Um, it's an interesting evolution to the, the the history of K's, right? We're going 4K, we're talking 8K. Now we're talking aspect ratios. Um, so we're at DPI and dimensions ultimately. But, uh, you know, the, the projector portion of it and applaud uh, Draper for, for recognizing the trend too. 
is is this could be a a big comeback for ultra short throw projectors because that Microsoft front row requires a large screen and and to do it with LCD and LED can be pretty expensive and uh, expensive to to install. Yeah, absolutely, Toby. Um, how will this push by by Microsoft impact the design of systems? How will it impact the customers? Well, first and foremost, I love ultra-wide. I have been on ultra-wide since pretty much day two. Uh, I am currently looking at an ultra-wide sitting on my desktop at home. Um, it, going away from the dual screen setup and video conferencing, I think, has been something that our clients have been pushing for for quite some time. I mean, the, the dual screen setup from 20 years ago with the 4.3 rear projection, it, people are over it, right? They want something a little more sleek, a little more fancy from that perspective. To Tim's point, I do love the idea of the ultra sh th short throw projector because the cost in entry barrier comes down substantially. I love LED walls. They're really cool, I, but it does require a lot more power consideration, heat load stuff, uh, you know, the sizable room and the budgets are going to be sometimes four and five times more money than potentially just a projector. And I think the, the people are driving for that because it's got such a more streamlined approach. It It's technology that I think everybody really, really likes to see simply because it's got, you know, everybody hates millions. I mean, remember five, six years ago when a half inch million was awesome. Now we want edgeless, right? So I think giving these projectors this option and ultra throw, short throw and the, the screen manufacturers recognizing that is going to really be a huge game changer as we see the next probably 12 or 24 months as we get in with architects and clients ahead of time to really show them hey, we don't need all this real estate that we thought we needed. We can really make a more impactful solution for you and a better experience and probably save you a ton of money doing it. And I'll, I'll build on the back of that, Toby, because you know, with, with different types of projection screens, ultimately we can roll up into the ceiling, roll down into a credenza. You know, from a designer standpoint, you can eliminate the view of, of AV in the space when it's not in use, which is usually a selling feature to that community. Oh, 100%. I mean, to me, technology should enhance the experience and not be the focal point. Now, granted, I love the cool LED wall like everybody else and cool projection screen. But when you walk into a space, it should feel like that space is there to collaborate and, and use the space for what it is, not say, oh, hey, look, we rolled in an overhead projector over there. That's going to be what we're going to be using today. <laughs> the problem with that statement, Toby, is, is anybody under 40 won't know what you mean by overhead projector. So I'm, I, I mean, that's fair, but, yeah. uh, really quickly guys, as, as, as we wrap this up besides Microsoft, because they're the ones like, like, Hey, we should do this besides Microsoft. Who is asking for 21 nine? Well, that's a good point. Um, right now, from our perspective, maybe it's not 21 nine. Maybe I shouldn't pick on 21 nine, but who is asking for the wider is better to, to, to use Tim's phrase. Oh, wider is better. Uh, from my perspective, it is your executive levels that are in financial as well as higher education are really starting to push towards that, at least what I'm starting to see. If you think of like your typical higher education room, a lot of times they had three screens in there, right? You got yeah. your center one and then your two, and they're looking at how do I consolidate that down, both from a hardware support perspective, but a cost perspective, they're pushing for it. Um, they tend to be a little, you know, uh, out there sometimes on some of the timelines to get some of that stuff done and implemented compared to, say, corporate America. Uh, but we just had a conversation with a client up in New York City that wants to put in 219 in their boardroom because they feel like that is what's going to set them up for the next five to six years. Very good. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, 
from LeGrand. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Mr. Timothy Trost, how do people connect with you or LeGrand AV? Uh, you can find me on the socials at Timothy Trost uh, or easily find us at LeGrandAV.com. Mr. Tungle, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you? Uh, on the socials at Toby Tungle, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the fun stuff. Uh, Carrier Pigeon is TobyTungle at CTI.com and our wonderful website is CTI.com. It is indeed. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters. Um, at this point, uh, and if you're watching video, you'll, you'll get this at this point. Um, I don't know that I'm rooting for the bears to have the first round, the first pick overall, but that's kind of what they're playing for. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about on Twitter. Um, but go by the website if you would please avianation.tv that's avianation.tv you will find this program and a host of others uh, I mentioned the fact that that Mitchell uh, our fantastic editor and producer uh, kicked butt the last couple of weeks on the best of and the year end uh, but also you'll find uh, programs like Resi Week uh, XR Star uh, and a brand new host on EdTech Aaron May Moran so check all that out also uh, it is January so that means it is time for the Aviation Reader's Choice Awards Round one uh, actually just ended by the time you hear this. So round two uh, is up and running. So go by the website, uh, and I'll have Mitchell put a link uh, directly to the, uh, the voting page on that. Also, we are headed to ISE uh, for uh, Barcelona, the 31st of January through the 3rd of February. Toby will be going. Mr. Trost, are you headed to Barcelona? I'll be there. Awesome. We will see Mr. Trost there as well. Uh, so you can check that, all that out and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Oh, 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 oh